Hey friends, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish. I am, it's Friday night, it's 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I wanted to hop on and do a general D&D Q&A, mostly to test out my new microphone. I got a new microphone today, and I wanna test it out, and I'm trying out different positioning, and I'm trying out all kinds of different stuff to make sure it sounds really cool for the stream and also for the recording. So I'm recording this so I can do post-processing and see what that sounds like too. But I figured, why not do a show? Why not have, uh, why not do a general Q&A? This can just be for anybody. And then we'll do the regular Lazy D&D talk show day after tomorrow, day after tomorrow morning. If you are on Twitch Live, it would be awesome if you told me how things look and how things sound. And we can chat, talk about stuff, talk about what's going on in the world of D&D, talk about our games, talk about what we're thinking, talk about all kinds of interesting stuff, anything that we wanna talk about. The world is ours, we can do what we want and we can talk about what we want. Everything sounds good, good, uh, sounds nice. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying out, so this time I'm talking like directly into the mic, which I don't normally do. Normally I talk across the mic and seeing how that goes. Hey, no fun, is allowed, no fun allowed is here. My day is going very well. What did I do today? I worked on a freelance assignment, which was fun. I chatted with, I had uh, a virtual lunch with a friend of mine, my friend Joe, who runs Inkwell Ideas. He is a kind of a mentor of mine in the in this business space. He's a guy that's full-time, full-time one dude making awesome RPG products. You should check his stuff out. And so I got to chat with him and then I got to chat with some other TTRPG friends of mine. We have a little designer group that gets together and chats. And so that was fun. We chatted about a lot of different things, mostly about like, we, you know, a lot of times we talk about NFTs and our hatred of NFTs. And what else? Then I worked on a freelance assignment that I have that I'm working on, which is going to be cool. I'm excited about that. Got this new microphone. I've been playing around with that, getting that all set up and watching YouTube videos about how to, what to do with it. And what else did I do today? I got an article ready for Monday, the Sly Flourish article ready for Monday. And I started getting the notes together for the D&D talk show on D&D talk show on Sunday, getting notes together. We can look at those notes too and see what we want to talk about. What else did I do? I watched a lot of Cobra Kai. I've been binge watching Cobra Kai. Netflix finally convinced me to watch Cobra Kai after 3,000 times to saying you should watch Cobra Kai. And I'm watching it. It's fine. Virtual lunches. Are those a thing? Yeah. Getting work is going to be interesting. I don't know. It feels like work to me. So, yeah. So what else? Yeah. So it's a busy day, but I got a lot done. Oh, I did some uh, Lazy DM companion work this morning. So that was all cool. I had to get some art over to Scott. Scott Gray, who's doing the layout uh, and did the editing. He sent me the latest version of it, which has all of the art except for three pieces. So that's that's really good. And yeah, things are going. And then I had I emailed off i've scheduled a meeting with chris from nord games to talk about book printing and i sent an email to one of the other book printers and i did a little bit of math to figure out how many books i have to print and then figure out the costs and the costs are, are fine and so yeah so a lot of stuff it's been a busy day today today was a very busy day but i'm glad and here i am chatting about dnd even again so that's cool. Cobra Kai, so bad, but so good. It's pretty, yeah. I mean, it's not bad. It's pretty good. And I, what I like about it is it took a relatively one-dimensional movie where you had good guys and bad guys. And it took all like a lot of the characters and then made them all pretty rich and three-dimensional and interesting. And, you know, it struggled. The show struggles with like, how do you make two people that hate each other both likable? 
And that's pretty tough to do, but they seem to manage to do that for the 20, for the 20 episodes that I've watched so far. There's one character who's kind of a villain that I absolutely adore. I think he's just, he's so much fun and they, he's such a bad guy. And I hope he never has a redemption arc, right? I think they might give him a redemption arc and I would rather they didn't because I think he's just more interesting when he doesn't have any redemption. And that is uh, Hawk, the character Hawk, if you are familiar with it. I just think he, I think he's outstanding. And uh, he's one of my favorite, one of my favorite bad guys. So yeah, so it's a fun show and it's got a lot of fun characters and there's probably some good D&D archetypes that you can, that you can take there. The new thumper. Yeah. NFTs are strange. You can do the same with a piece of paper. Yeah. They're not strange. They just suck. I think it's, it's fair. I don't know. It's just, I, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't know what's going on with them. I know that the amount of energy required to do stuff with them is, it's tremendous and the, it's just weird. So yeah, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> you know, like there are things where there's lots of things where I'm letting other people kind of deal with it. Right. Other people can, other people can solve those problems and I don't have to solve those problems. So, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I mean, what, it would be what it is. So what else is going on? Reddit had a lot of, lot of chatter about the new races that are in monsters in the multiverse. And that, you know, every so often, every, every few weeks, the, the D&D community on Reddit, especially on the D&D Next Reddit forum kind of goes nuts. And then the moderators have to come in and be like, please don't post 38,000 threads about the same stupid thing. It was the, the, the last time I saw a big explosion was the errata, the, the big errata that they put out and the changes to Volos that came out and, and how, like, how am I supposed to possibly play a mind flayer now that you took three sentences out? So there was that. And the, and so this week it was, you're changing all of these races and I like the old races better and I don't like what you did. And that's, you know, I mean, it's going to happen, right? And, and it's going to be interesting, but the reality is it only matters in like two places. And one a person brought it up. They said like, you know, it only matters in two places, D&D Beyond and Adventures League, right? And if it's, you know, every, almost every other place, you don't have to worry if they're going to change stuff. But D&D Beyond, if, if, if your primary method of handling D&D is through D&D Beyond and D&D Beyond changes, then you're changing, right? And likewise, if you are going to play an Adventures League, then uh, you're going to use Adventures League rules, right? And so that that's a big one. And, you know, but it's not, I mean, so, so I, I think I did some, I did a poll on this, right. And how many people, let's take a look. I'm pretty sure I did a poll on how many people do you use D and D beyond 1099 answers and 56% said yes. So roughly speaking about half of people use D and D beyond well, half of surveyed people. Right. And so that means probably a lot of DMS because I, I, I imagine a lot of DMS are what's in there. So that's kind of interesting. And then adventures, like, I think I said, how many people play in adventures league? How many DD players play in the adventures league? 427. This is 2017. So I, boy, that, that one's due for an update. And it was 25%. I think I did another poll recently and it was 10. I think it came down to about 10% of people play adventures league. 10% of the polled people played adventures. So, oh, nobody can see my, my stuff here. Can they? So I can kill that. So those are the people who are going to be most affected by it. And, you know, you, you, everyone has a right to be mad, right? You don't like the way things are going. You can be mad about it and that's fine. I, I don't, I don't know that I'm too sympathetic about the D&D Beyond is changing and that pisses me off because it was a subscription service. What do you think was going to happen, right? But again, you're allowed to be mad. Everyone's allowed to be mad about something. I'm mad about stupid stuff. I'm mad about three point, about gods that do three points of cold damage. Gods of winter that do three points of cold damage. 
raises five hands for his table using D&D Beyond. Yeah, my whole my whole group uses D&D Beyond. I think I think out of two groups that I've got, kind of three groups, everybody except one person is using D&D Beyond. So like you know, lots and lots of people on my side. But it turns out it's really about half of people use D&D Beyond. So or you know, based on my BS poll. So my group was all in the tizzy, and I dropped the Mike Shea gem of no one is taking anything away from you. And how'd that work out? Did they did they just when you when you told them that did they just go? Argh. I just, it's so, I'll tell you what I think happens. And that's, we all get caught in the zeitgeist, right? We all get caught in the conversations that are happening online. We go and we read Reddit and we go and we read Twitter and we hang out in discords and we talk to people and we watch YouTube videos and all this stuff. And we all get caught up in the zeitgeist of D&D and what's happening in the big world. We care about the D&D baloney. We care about nerds candy. We care about all this stuff, right? We think about it a lot. You know, Chris Cox getting promoted to Hasbro. We pay a lot of attention, but the reality is like, if we're just worried about our games, almost none of that matters, right? And like, because we all just kind of take our books and we go to our table and we play our game with our five friends, whatever's happening outside of that group and those five friends doesn't really matter, right? It's, you can house rule whatever you want and nobody will know and nobody cares and nobody's gonna come and tell you you're doing it wrong. So we, but it's easy to get, I think, I think we get caught up in the zeitgeist more. I saw, I saw a post from somebody on Reddit who was saying like, I, with all of these changes to 5e, I think it's time for me to do something else. And people are like, oh, you should play Pathfinder too. And I was like, the things you're describing that you don't like are all things that have happened in future books. They were, they were upset about the, I, I, think, I think I've got this right. They, were, they didn't like the attribute thing. They didn't like the shift of ability, ability score bonuses for, for races. They didn't like the meta the meta world the first world idea of fizz bands and they didn't like other some other things and it was like it, but all of them had come from kind of new books and you're like well if you like the old books <laughs> play the old books right like you don't have to play you can play any way you want so i you know but and they were like oh you should go play these other rpgs instead and it's like sure that's fine too go ahead and play whatever games you dig but like if what bothered you about D&D was things that happen in future books, don't buy the books. Don't use them. Like I have fizz bands. I haven't used it yet. I guess I use parts of it, right? I use pieces that I like, but I you know, we have pieces that I don't. So, you know, I don't like all the Tasha's, right? Like there's parts of Tasha's I really like. And then there's parts of Tasha's that I don't really like. And I, you know, my witch like game come up and I said, these are the parts we're going to use and these are parts we're not, right? And so, you know, and nobody had, nobody cared, right? It was fine. Nobody said, well, I want a Twilight Cleric. No, nobody, nobody, nobody got upset. So, you know, we have so much. I think we, we keep thinking of it like it's World of Warcraft, right? And it's not World of Warcraft. It's, you know, the, the, the company doesn't change the game, right? The company just puts out new stuff, the company being Wizards of the Coast, right? And so, and other people are putting out new stuff too, right? We have Level Up 5e and we have Cobalt Press and we have, you know, all different kinds of major publishers putting stuff out. They're changing the game all the time. We don't go like, man, I'm so mad at Cobalt Press for making these monsters, you know? So... Yeah, Americ90 says, I didn't care for the first world stuff. Guess what? Guess what? It has zero impact on any aspect of the game. Right. The game is at your table and that's what's important. Everybody having a good time together. Yep, no D&D Beyond for the 6, 7 us. Oh, that's interesting. Somebody doesn't use D&D Beyond at all. People being disillusioned with D&D Beyond gives me sick joy. Yeah, I, I don't want to rub too you know, much into it, right? I, but, I, but there is an anarch, there, the anarchist in me who says like, good, right? It's time not to trust D&D Beyond. It's time to remember what they are, right? And, and this is a good lesson, right? You're about to... A bunch of your content is going to change, <laughs> right? Under your feet and you can't do anything about it. And, and I think that that should remind us what D&D Beyond is, right? And what it isn't. And it's not a product. It's not a thing you own. It is a license. 
It is a license for material that they can change on their side. It is like World of Warcraft. It is like a subscription to World of Warcraft. You don't get to decide what World of Warcraft is going to do. None of my players interact with a larger D&D community or follow WotC News. Yeah, I don't, very few of mine do either. So none of this stuff means anything. No, I like to, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in it, right? It's, it's, it's now become my, not just my hobby, but my industry a little bit, mostly. Yeah. And so I pay a lot of attention to it, right? And we have lots of thoughts about it. I constantly see posts on Reddit about some DMs being annoyed that players aren't taking D&D throughout, talking D&D throughout the week. Yeah. DMs always have a... I think we, I think DMs are more invested in the game. Not in a bad way, but like players, a lot of times are D and D is once a week, and for DMs, we're doing it all the time. And that's not no one's right and one's wrong. That's just kind of how it works. We're into it more. I'm into it more. Uh, what we're seeing is growing pains. Both we're getting a lot of new products and content to choose from. Yeah, it's not growing pains because like the game's seven years old now, right? Or six or seven years old. How old is the game now? When did it come out? When did Fifth Edition first come out? I'm gonna do this because I don't I don't know if it shows stuff. Sometimes it shows my address. Do, 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 do. I'm checking when the D&D starter set came out because I think that was the first fifth edition product. So it came out in 2014 and we're in 2022. Math is hard. Is it eight years? So it's seven and a half years, All right? So Scipio, good. Does it sound good? No, no problems. Is talking directly into it the right way to talk to it? The alternative is kind of talking to the side like this. And I, I'm only turning my head for effect. And I could talk across the mic to avoid uh plosives but i have literally two pop filters the mic itself has a pop filter in it and then i put another pop filter on top because they recommended that you do so so i don't think i have to worry about plosives and if i don't have to worry about plosives that means i can talk directly into the mic and not have a problem but i'm definitely interested in like this you know which sounds better i assume talking directly in the mic sounds better and i'm like i'm like two fingers away so i think i'm i'm thinking everything is the right distance but i'm definitely interested in hearing you know right into it sounds better that's good. Good to know. Directly into the mic sounds better. Yeah. So yeah, I had this real mic, right? I've got this this mic was really good too. This is my my Samson Q2U microphone, which I used previously. And it was fine. But I noticed when I was doing my post processing that it was picking up more room noise than I wanted. And it is also a USB XLR, and I, I, I really just wanted an XLR. And the, what's this guy? The Rode Procaster, everybody loves. And so I said, let me get a Rode Procaster. So no plosives detected. Peter Piper picked a pack of peppers. I was wanting to soup mean earlier, but I hope, do hope people realize they don't own anything in D&D Beyond. Sound, I didn't want to sound mean earlier, but I don't have, yeah, I mean, right. And that's the part, like, I don't want to, you know, we don't need to rub people's faces in it, but the reality is we should recognize the fact that D&D is a license, not a product. And and things are going to change under your feet. Seven and a half years D&D has been out. That's crazy. The real conflict comes when you as a DM try to run your game for a new players at your table and they want new things and you don't. An already established group is fine, uh, but not established groups. Yeah, yeah, I think we got to be careful, right? And and I think sometimes we'd say like, these are the sources that are allowed. The, the thing that I did in my, in my one pager for Witchlight, I can bring that up by the way. We can take a look at that because I kind of updated a little bit and we can, since we're chatting about it. So I, I, I had to put some stuff in here under the char your character in the witch light. Characters begin at first level. You can choose options for the player's handbook, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and Tasha's Cauldron. You can use the Customize Your Origin from Tasha's Cauldron. The Peace and Twilight Cleric subclasses are not allowed. Please check your sources in D&D Beyond for spells and abilities to ensure they come from these books. Right? I had to make a specific statement about this and talk about it during a session zero because the reality is that D&D Beyond 
will add everything into your shared campaign. So you have to tell them like, I know somebody, somebody else brought up the very thing that I feared, which was that barb, silvery barbs was going to show up for everybody, right? And everybody's like, ooh, silvery barbs, I'm taking that, right? <laughs> and you're like, silvery barbs is not from, that's from, that's from Strixhaven. That's not for everybody. Just have to know what you're paying for. And I think D&D Beyond is a fantastic resource. As a DM, I use it all the time. I use it every day. I use it lots, a lot, right? I use it as a designer. I use it as a DM. I use it for all kinds of things. And as a resource, it's a fantastic resource. I still think it's worth it. In full disclaimer, I because I wrote for them, I have a like a legacy license that gives me access to the stuff as it comes out. So I don't actually pay for it. My wife does. My wife pays for it. So yeah, family is paying for it. And I would though, right? I think, I don't think I'd buy everything, but like I'd certainly buy adventures that I was running because having access to the maps and artwork online is fantastic. I probably would pay for the monster books because I use those monsters a lot. I would probably pay for a lot of stuff. So has there been a discussion about what will happen in a couple of years when the next edition comes out? Oh yeah, sure. Tons of discussion. This is like what my, my good friend, my good friend Casey says, right? And he picked this up somewhere. Human beings are fantastic at making predictions, right? We are really, really good at predicting the future. We're just terrible with accuracy, right? So have there been discussions about what will happen next year when the next edition, the next couple of years? Yes, lots of discussions. Do any of us have any idea? No, <laughs> right? <laughs> so none of us have any idea what's going to happen. And there's lots of potential things. And some of them I think could be very damaging to the hobby, right? I think that, I think if Wizards of the Co, and this is a prediction, which means it's probably inaccurate, right? We know, we, there are some things we know. We know that Wizards of the Coast is making inroads to have an in-house digital D&D, something with D&D. We don't know what it is. Probably, they, there's talk about a virtual tabletop. There's pro probably an, an, you know, an encyclopedia, right? Probably all the books and access to the online books. Well, if they're doing it, would it, is it possible that they will pull the licenses from other sources, from other companies? And the answer is, that's certainly possible. And what would that do? If you paid a lot of money to have all of these books inside D&D Beyond, and then suddenly D&D is like, yeah, you don't have access to those. And so they could either just say, you don't have access to anything new, right? And now if you want new stuff, you have to come to us. And by the way, that new stuff won't integrate with your old stuff if you don't buy the old stuff from us. They could, they, it could be, a, it could be, I think it could fracture I think it could fracture the marketplace. I, I, one of the topics, well, maybe we can bring up our topics for the show on, we're not going to talk about these topics. We're going to talk about the topics without talking about the topic. One of the things I wanted to talk about, because I was chatting, I was thinking about this on, and we talked about it in, on Discord. There is a guy, he's a little slick, named Jim Collins. He wrote a bunch of business self-help books. There's a whole industry of business self-help books, right? And normally they're, they're really pretty bad. And the one thing I like about Jim Collins's corporate self, you know, self-help books for CEOs is that he at least bases them on evidence. He actually experiments. He looks at and he does control groups, right? He looks at public, publicly traded companies and all of the data he can get for publicly traded companies. And he uh, writes books based on a, a lot of scientific 
diving in to try to determine like what makes great companies and what makes bad companies. And here's a very interesting thing. We're talking about prediction. So in he wrote a book called Good to Great. All right, let's look this up, Wikipedia. So he wrote a book called Good to Great back in 2001, right? So it's now a 20, more than 20-year-old book. And he talks about these characteristics of great companies, level five leadership, which are leaders who are able to both they're able to really drive a company and steer it in a good direction, but they are also humble and often invisible. So not Steve Jobs, you know, who first, who, then what getting the right people. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the topic. I didn't want to talk about first, who, then what, you know, who are the people that get the right people in before you worry about what you're doing, right? It's all about making sure you got the right people in your, in your organization or company or whatever. Confront the brutal facts, right? They call it the Stockdale paradox, which is, this is really interesting. And I, I, I I've been thinking about this a lot. But I, I hadn't read this in some time. The idea that you need to both focus on the brutal truth of your current existence, but also also have a lot of optimism about where you're going to go. That's really interesting. You have to you have to have confront the brutal truth of the situation, yet at the same time never give up hope. Right? That's interesting. Hedgehog concept. What are your three? What are the three things that drive you? This is actually really good for people too. What are you good at? What are you best at in the world? What do people pay you for? And what do you love doing, right? So what lights your fire, passion? What could you be best in the world at, best at? And what makes you money, right? And what are those things? What are those things that you can overlap? You know, what, then they call that the hedgehog concept, which is really, they use a lot of jargon in this book. Cultural discipline, rinsing the cottage cheese. I don't know what the hell that means. Technology accelerators. What are technology things that you can do to accelerate your growth? And the flywheel. How do you continually get better? Keep the wheel going and continually get better at the same time. Now, he, when he wrote this, he had a bunch of companies that he looked at, right? He compared a bunch of companies kind of side by side. And then he aimed up, he ended up making certain companies that he said, these, are, these companies are really great. And one of them was IBM, who almost immediately went out of business. And another one was Circuit City, which also went out of business, right? So Circuit City, Fannie Mae, you know, they, 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 he said, these are truly great companies and they show their examples of, and he gave all this stuff and then they crashed right afterwards. Right. And I was like, well, what good is that? Right. And so what do you do when you're an author and you write a book and your book predict, doesn't predict it measured companies currently. And he's careful to point this out. It's like, cause it was a great company. Now it doesn't mean it stays great. And he said like, you know, what do you do when you write a book and the book has all of these embarrassing things in it, like, you know, companies that you say are great companies that then go out of business, right? And the answer is to write another book and sell another book, right? So he wrote another book called How the Mighty Fall, which is a great book. I really like these books. You know, if you're going to read any corporate self-help bullshit books, these are the ones to read. Jim Collins' book, How the Mighty Fall. Where is it? Oh, come on. You don't have a link to How the Mighty Fall? So How the Mighty Fall shows the six, the five or six, it's in my notes. Actually, he has it on his website too. The five stages of decline, right? Hubris born of success, undisciplined pursuit of more, denial of risk and peril, gr grasping for salvation, and capitulation to irrelevance or death, right? First of all, those are great phrases. Like, you know, and his point is that like a lot of companies that got to be a great company then collapse and they collapse because, and again, he did a bunch of research on why they collapsed, And he did a bunch of research on the ones that had collapsed that he said had been great. 
So it was really interesting stuff. So Herc Rob says, is the sample size valid though? Does it include a vast amount of different cultural and regions? No, it was based on, so it's mostly based on uh, probably American companies. I think he looked at, it is a corporate book, definitely. These are definitely corporate books. And typically I think corporate books are a bunch of BS and I would not recommend them, but I'd like these two. And, and I like his style. And it's because he did, there was some science. There was some science behind these. He's the Jim Cramer of books. <laughs> is the sample size valid? They were valid because they looked at, I think they started off with all 500 companies in the S&P 500. I think they looked at publicly traded companies in general and they looked at long-term. He had a big lab that did it. There's a bunch of stuff about their methodology. And it was a pretty scientific methodology as it goes in corporate self-help books, right? So, you know, is it perfect? No. But it was really interesting. How does this tie back into D&D Beyond and Watsi? What are you trying to bring me back to topics? I'm allowed to talk about whatever I want. If I want to talk about corporate politics, we're talking about corporate politics. It came up because I wanted, I was trying to think about like where Watsi is in this. And are they in that, these stages of decline? Do they have hubris born of success in the idea that do they think if we do a digital holding, everybody will come to us and it doesn't matter if Roll20 has umpteen million people playing. And it doesn't matter if D&D Beyond has this huge thing. We can just do it, right? We are, we are, we are D&D and we can do whatever we want. Do they believe that, right? Do they believe that like we can do anything? So they undisciplined pursuit of more nerds candy, right? Movies, TV shows, we can do whatever we want, right? Can they, you know, they, yeah, can they, they could buy D&D Beyond. I am surprised they didn't buy D&D Beyond. They should have, but they probably said, we don't need to buy it. We can make it. That's hubris right? Thinking you can do as well as Dini Beyond has done over whatever number of years it's been doing it. You know, that's, that is hubris, you know, denial of risk and peril. Do they think it doesn't matter? We're so big. It doesn't matter. Maybe they're saying that inside. Maybe they're not. I don't know. They're probably not at the point of grasping for salvation or capitulation to death. And one thing that, that Jim Collins brings up in this model is he says, you can pull yourself out of every one of these stages and you pull yourself out by going back to the good to great model. Make sure you got the right people on the bus. Make sure that you know what you're best at and focus on what you're best at. All that kind of nonsense. So you can always get yourself out of this if you get into it, but you got to have a pretty big shift because if you think you're hot shit and then it turns out you're not as hot shit as you think. And then it turns out everybody's like, you know what? We're going to go play Blades in the Dark. We're going to go play something else. We don't want to play d anymore because we don't. It used to be we were all used to know what to use and where to go and what to play. And now we have no idea. Now there's 15 versions of fifth edition and we don't know which one is which. So yeah, they should have bought d and Beyond. They should have because it was clearly for sale, right? d and Beyond was clearly for sale. And, and, you know, they could have bought it. They didn't, right? Instead, fandom bought it. So uh, Big Oak 1669 says, okay, I'm convinced would not buying Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds be hubris too? Probably not. I mean, maybe, but I don't think it would be hubris because like they know what they're buying, right? And I think, I don't know that Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds is what I would buy because Roll20 is old. It's around for a long time and it's running on a lot of the same code. And, I, you know, I, I mean, I'm a software engineer, right? And I look at it and it's like, it doesn't run great, right? It's not great. There's so much, you got to imagine what the spaghetti is behind that system. And it's a lot. It doesn't feel super clean. And and Fantasy Grounds has that thing where like, isn't there two versions, the Unity version and the non-Unity version and all kinds of stuff going on? But beyond, d Beyond feels pretty clean, Right. I, I imagine it's spaghetti. Everything's spaghetti behind the curtain, right? Everything, everything when you dig into it is spaghetti code. But D to Beyond at least feels cleaner than than the others. It like it feels, you know, 
<laughs> I know what the spaghetti is like and it's worse than you can imagine. Probably. I almost gave up DMing online when I tried Roll20 for a month. Yeah. People love Roll20. People play the hell out of it, but I, you know, it's heavy. It's heavy and it's clunky and it's weird. So like I wouldn't buy it, right? I wouldn't buy Roll20, but I'd buy D&D Beyond, right? Like, cause it's so clean and it's so, and it runs well and it's good, right? It's got bugs and it's got warts and it's got other things, but it feels cleaner than the other stuff does. So yeah, so I, so I, so I like that. Anyway, so that was a topic I was going to talk about. And the whole VTT thing was something I was going to talk about. I'm going to talk about Witchlight, DNB Companion. But yeah, so I don't know what else I was going to... I mean, this is something we could talk about. What do we want to talk about on Sunday? What are, what are the talk show... What are some fun things that have been going on in the world? It, I, it, I think Colville has talked about this. I think soon, sometime soon, I think we're going to see MCDM crowdfund a new monster book for D&D. And I think they want it to be a replacement of the monster manual. That could be fascinating, right? And then we have Cobalt Press also making monsters. We're gonna be swimming in monsters. MCDM could be an interesting twist on monsters too. They've got some cool concepts. Yeah, what I love about it is like everybody has a philosophy while they're doing monsters, right? And 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 you sort of get to decide if you want to enjoy that philosophy. So like if you are familiar with Blog of Holding and how they think about monsters, pick up the Monstrous Menagerie for level up 5e because the guy wrote it, right? And it's got their style of monsters in it. It's really interesting styles. Yeah, Nord Games released Dangerous Destinations. I just looked at that too. I just got my copy. I was actually... In, on Discord, text chatting with Chris, with with Chris, the CEO of Nord, because they're doing a lot of they're they're helping me out a lot with the Lazy DMs companion, and I was like, holy cow, this thing's really good. So I'm probably gonna do a preview of it. I'll do a preview of it if it's I'll do a preview of it if it's uh, available for sale. One thing I don't want to do product previews of things you can't buy, right? I want you to be able to buy it if you think it, or unless it's a Kickstarter, if it's a crowd, you know, I want you to be able to do something. So I'm either gonna Talk about a Kickstarter so that you can go back a Kickstarter, or I'm going to talk about a product you can go buy, but I don't want something that was like released to people. Ah, okay. It was released to the general public to buy. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I just got my copy and it really is. It's a, it's an outstanding book. I, I wish I bought the physical one. It's big. It's 400 pages. So maybe that might, that might be a, a preview. That might be something to, to do a preview on. I'll have to read it some more. So you can pre-order it. So I don't think it's out yet. Not really. Like, I bet you could probably, if you pre-ordered it, you probably get the PDF right away. But I think I'm going to wait to preview it until I know that I can easily get it. Because it, it's great. It's really cool. Yeah, Dreaded Accursed came out. So what else is new? What else can I talk about? What else would be interesting to talk about on the show on Sunday that we don't want to talk about right now? Or is there something you'd like to talk about tonight? Any Kickstarters on the horizon? Yes, the Tome of Beast 2 is coming out and the leaks if by the leaks you mean like the the character races and stuff i presume you mean like the leaks the the monsters in the multiverse character race leaks kind of leaks i don't well so for, uh, yeah so character the, the character race stuff doesn't matter that much to me so i'm not really talking about it and i don't think i plan on talking about cuz like i haven't done the research on it i don't know I don't know what the big changes are. I know somebody brought up, I think on my Discord, they brought up like people got really upset and they were like, I can't believe that Kenku's no longer have the mimicry thing. This is the worst ever. I can't believe they took mimicry away from the Kenku. How could you do this? This is the worst thing ever. And then somebody said, it was like on the next page. And they went, oh, never mind. And there was like, you know, they got 900 upvotes for anger about something that turned out not to be true. So... 
Yeah, I don't, I'm not paying too much attention to it, but it does, my only angle on it is, well, you know, you can only, the only reasons to really be upset is if you only have it through D&D Beyond because that changes underneath your feet or you have to play with, or you have to play with Ad- Adventures League. So, so many people complained about how bad Mimic was when the Kenku was released. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Like, yeah, it was cool seeing Jasmine Bueller discuss Blades in the Dark on MCDM. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, I didn't watch, I haven't watched it. I know she did it, and I just haven't gotten around to, to, to watching it. Uh, but I thought it was really cool that she did so. And I am enjoying my Blades game, and we'll be talking all about that Sunday, too. We're going to talk about my, my Blades in the Dark game. We finished our full heist. They found a human head in a jar. I'll tell you that. Turns out the treasure the treasure that they had were the friends they made along the way and a head in a jar that talked to them. And now the head is going to be the, <laughs> the one that gives them the new, the new, the new, their new, their new uh, heist job. So that was cool. We did some downtime. They, they finished the job and then they, they had some downtime. So yeah, we'll talk all about that on Sunday. Oh, well, one thing we could talk about, I'm trying to figure out and, and maybe, maybe, I don't know, this might be something for the talk show or I might just talk about it now. I'm trying to find a good adventure or a good campaign to run for my Numenera campaign when we switch over to Numenera. My, my Sunday group, we're going to play a short Numenera campaign. I don't know how many sessions. I, I feel like about six to eight. And I don't know what to run. There's two kind of big potential candidates. There's kind of two big candidates that I'm considering. And they are, I'm going to pull them up right now. One is called Slaves of the Machine God. Yeah, Slaves of the Machine God is one of them. This is Numenera. Man, I'll tell you the art, Numenera's art is freaking off the wall. It is so good. And the other one is called... Jade Colossus. Both of these are pretty big campaigns. Both were written by Bruce Cordell. They're both great big things. Jade, I mean, they're not huge, but like 145 pages for Jade Colossus and somewhere around there for 146 pages for, for Slaves of the Machine God. And <laughs> Slaves of the Machine God sounds like a cult. Go with that. It is kind of. It's about an army of, of machines that are buried under underground and somebody's trying to get them available you know trying to trying to make trying to trying to awaken them and you have to sort of deal with that and it has kind of a, an interesting structure there's, there's essentially slaves of the machine god has two arcs one of them relics of the machine is a series of adventures in which a group is trying to awaken um awaken this army and and you kind of travel all over and then the other angle is about pro- building and protecting a region Right, and that's based on the idea of of Numenera destiny and Numenera discovery. That des- de- discovery is about going out into the world and going on adventures, and destiny is about building your homeland and building a society and building things up and making the world a better place. And they they wanted to have both of those in this in this campaign. So it's probably this is more than I probably want if I was running. This is more than I want if I'm running a short campaign, but half of it might be. And I'm kind of lean towards the half of like exploring old places and stuff like that. So, so I'm probably going to take a look at this one. The, the nice thing about this one is I own a physical copy too, so I can take it upstairs and flop on my couch and read it. And then Jade Colossus, I don't own the physical version. It's the one, it's one of the very few Numenera things that wasn't part of a Kickstarter that I backed as far as I know. So I never actually got it through the Kickstarter. And this one is about good old fashioned exploring of it's basically dungeon delving in Numenera's world. And 
it's about going into this massive structure that's, you know, it's a mega, almost like a mega dungeon, right? Of ancient societies and, and ancient stuff. And it is part adventure and part generator for adventures like this. I kind of like this one. My only problem with it is I don't own the physical. It's the one book that I don't own physically. And maybe I'll order it. I don't know. Because I have every other Numenera book. I don't know why I wouldn't own this one too. I really like it though. I, I really like what I, what I, what I looked at. Uh, I think, I can't remember which one is newer. Only because like they get to know their own stuff. So this is 2017. Slaves is 2019. So Slaves is two years newer than the other. So I'm considering either one of these, but then the other, the other alternative is there are lots and lots of like one-shot adventures that people recommend that can be expanded off into, into other ones. One of the oldest is known as Vortex. Uh, Vortex, I've run this one before myself. It's so old because it came out in 2013. So it's a nine-year-old adventure for Numenera. And I've run this one before. I think this is, yeah, you kind of go to this weird ex exploration thing. I did run this one before and it was fine. It's a nice, straightforward, single shot adventure. And people, people like that, you know, it would be a fun one to run. And the, then there's these, they have three books, Weird Discoveries, which actually was a, when I saw Weird Discoveries, that is what I use as a model for Fantastic Adventures. I really liked Fantastic Adventures a lot. But they have they have two other books of short adventures that have come out now too. And I'm trying to find them. So many different things. Explorer's Keys, I think, is the latest one. And they are they have these ideas of like instant adventures, right? Which are like two-page short short run, two-page adventures where you just read it and you go. Right. It's, and they're really, these are great. These are great books. I thought there was another, I'll show you like an example of, of, of one of them. They're really great physical, physical books, right? Cause they have like, here's a list of the stuff, but it, it shows the map and, and it has like everything sort of pointed out on one map. So they're, they're four page adventures, four or five page adventures. You know, let's see, one page, two, three, four, five. Six pages, right? Six page adventures. So those are cool and you can kind of grab them and run. But if I have the opportunity to run a short campaign, I don't want to run just a series of one shots. I want, I want to have some connected tissue for it. So I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that, that one shots like these are really the, the, the best way, really the best way to do it. But I thought there was another, I thought there was another book of one shot adventures that they had done as well. But maybe it's just those two. So I should really go through my big ass pile of Numenera stuff and look and say, are there any other kind of big adventures that, that, you know, one can run the advantage devil spine is devil spine. That's not the one that was written by, Oh, Monty Cook wrote that. Right. And I think this is a bigger one, 98 page one. This is one of the original, the original ones. And people talked about it being a, a good and fun adventure. I think it's a bit more horror, uh, horror style. Hey, Scipio, have a good night. So I'm not sure. So I've got a lot of stuff to read, which is great, right? And then I can kind of decide which one of these I want to run. And then I'll, I'll be doing prep shows where I talk about running Numenera because I like running Numenera and I want to talk about it. Yeah, good chance to try out some other RPGs. And I'll tell you, boy, yeah, somebody mentioned getting Humble Bundles in here. Hutch Studio said you picked up the PDFs in the Humble Bundle. What an outstanding way to get all this stuff, man. 
Like, boy, the, the amount of material you get for a humble, hum, these Humble Bundles is n just nuts, right? Really, really, just so much really cool, cool stuff. Just to read, just to read and, and, and enjoy and look at the art. If you pick it up and just look at the art, the art is outstanding in these books. I think they've got the best art of any RPG. I, I, their art direction grabs me more than any other book, including Wizards, because it's just like... It's it bends my mind, you know. It bends my mind away more so than than D and D does. Everything is huge in scale and scope, and huge and ancient and weird, which is also the detriment of this RPG. The hard part about Numenera is that you don't have a metaphor to fall back on. There's no orcs and gnolls and goblins and orc, you know, and and giants. Everything is weird and new, and because everything is weird and new, you need to you know, understand it all, which is why I want to run sort of a, a, a pre-built adventure. Do you think Numenera is a good first departure from D&D? Sure. I mean, anything's a good, you know, I mean, first of all, I love D&D, &D, right? So departing from D&D &D is not the goal, right? You know, I think it's fine. I find Numenera is hard to ground. Yes. Yeah, right. Like, and it's probably hard for players too, right? Because everything is weird, right? Everything is weird. And that, that makes it hard. There's no monster you look at and say, oh, that's kind of like this thing. There's no metaphor to fall back on. You know, you don't, it doesn't use folklore. So it's, it's not based on, you know, 2000 years of folklore. And that makes it really tough, you know, but I think it can also be really cool. I love the system too. I think the system is really outstanding and I think it's great for DMs. It's a really DM friendly system. I, I did a big, I did a big preview of it before. I think I did a, uh, one of my shows, I did a deep dive into Numenera and why I love it. I love Numenera for exploration and discovery, but it's really boring for, and bad for combat. I guess I didn't play it long enough for it to get boring with combat, right? I've only played one shots. I don't think I've ever played more than that. And there was enough of just getting to understand what the characters could do before figuring out whether or not combat was boring. My hope is that I will be able to level up characters that they'll be getting new and interesting abilities fast enough that it will still be interesting. But you may be right. We'll see. On the other hand, like combat, you know, crunchy combat is not really my goal either. It's probably, it's not the goal of my players, but I have players who like crunchy combat. And I think they like crunchy combat more than, more than I do. However, they're also really enjoying Blades in the Dark, which doesn't have crunchy combat at all. So I think they're just kind of happy to play, right? I really like playing Numenera, less so the generic version of the system. Yeah, I don't think cypher system i think cypher system is fine but like i don't think i'd play a generic fantasy game with cypher system because i like 5e i like dnd 5e is great there are parts of cypher system i love and I, there's parts of cypher system i wish i could figure out how to work into dnd the biggest one for me is that every challenge in the game whether it's a godlike monster or you know having a conversation with somebody is basically the equivalent of coming up with a DC. And you can create monsters from a challenge number, right? So imagine you could take, imagine in D&D, &D if you could take a DC and, and unfold it into a monster, right? So if you said, okay, DCs are somewhere between 10 and 20, right? pretend it's 10 and 20, but maybe you go between 10 and 30, right? And you know, so so a DC 30 is like basically impossible for anybody, right? Nobody's going to be breaking DC 30s. Very, very infrequently break a DC 30. But imagine you could say like a monster is a DC 16 monster, right? And then you know how many hit points it has, what its armor class is, what its attack score is, how much damage it does. You know, imagine you could build a monster in your head 
by having a target number. And Numenera does that. Numenera has target numbers between one, which is easy, and 10, which is nearly impossible. And when you, you can unfold that number between one and 10 into a monster. So you can say a six, and a six is really hard, right? And, and what that tells you is a six means that there's a, you have to roll an 18 or better unmodified in order, to, in order to interact with this thing. For a monster, that means it has 18 hit points. It means it does 18 damage. It means that you know, hitting is an 18. Defending against it, it is an 18, right? It uses, it uses that number. Actually, no, the, the damage is an 18. The damage is the number. It does six points of damage and it has 18 hit points. So, you know, that... Being able to whip out a monster that way. Now, granted, you can have Numenera monsters that are far more complicated than that, but the base the base thing, they might say, here is a creature, and here's an example, right? Here's an example right here. Morigera, Prophet of the Machine God, level five, right? Right away, you know, okay, what does that mean? It means that interacting with them, they have a DC of 15. They have to, you have to beta 15, target number 15. It means they do, if they did damage to you, they would do five damage. And it would be a, it would be a, a 15 check to avoid that damage. It means that they have 15 hit points. But then it says understanding of crafting Numenera is level seven, which means they're way better at that. Armor three, right? So they added other factors on top of it. So it doesn't have to be a generic level five monster. But you can, but you can, basically take that level five and turn it into something. I've worked really hard to try to figure out if you can do that in D&D. Can you, could you take a, a monster between, basically between 10 and 30 and turn that into something? And the problem is the math doesn't work out evenly. You you can kind of get there, but it's things like it it has, you know, 15 hit points per DC. I, 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 you know, like, it, it's kind of hard. Alpha's, hey, Teos is here. Hey, Teos, welcome. Does my microphone sound good? It's because of you that I had to buy this dumb thing because of your article. Let's see, Alpha Stream. Look, I even have it in my Google search. Alpha Stream podcast mic, right? I RPG beginner's guide to microphones. And you go down here. I don't want to subscribe to your newsletter. You go down here and you talk about microphones. Look at you talking about carteroids and everything. And so this one, the Samsung Q2U is the one I bought before right here, right? And, but you recommended, yeah, this guy, right? The, the Rode Procaster. And that's what I'm talking into right now. And I think, yeah, this guy, right? I've got all your stuff. I, I followed your thing. I didn't get the 212. I got the solo because I don't need two people. I don't want to talk to anybody else. So just, just having one. Audio twinsies. I got a booster too. Did you get a booster? I have a signal booster in mine. I also have an acoustically treated room. So yeah. So does it sound good? Any issues? Clipping? You know? Yeah, the cloud. So you said cloud lifter. I got a. I got an off-brand cloud lifter, essentially. That it was half this price. It was like seventy-five bucks and does the exact same thing. And everybody said, everybody said that they yeah noticed no difference. Like it just it's a signal booster, right? So like it's not going to dork with your sound quality and stuff like that. And there was some stuff I read about the cloud lifter that that you know didn't work out quite right. So the one thing is this does not have vibration. I don't have any vibration protection in this. I guess the mic has a little bit of a, a little bit of a, what do they call it? Your vibration prevention. So yeah, I'll send you, I'll send you a link uh, to the, I'll have to, can we talk about your new thing that you did today? Can I talk about the Patreon? I'll whisper so they won't hear, but can we talk about your new Patreon?
I don't know if you were like still testing it out. No, let me do one thing at a time. Yeah, so AlphaStream, my friend Teos, has a new Patreon. Just launched a Patreon. Is it slash AlphaStream? Does that work? Look at that. Nine, man. At this rate, you're gonna have a you're gonna have like fifty thousand followers in a couple years. If you keep up at the same rate. It's only been like an hour. And yeah, so I just signed up for, hey, look, congratulations. I think I was the first one. Was I the, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna like my own post because I think I was your first patron. I'm gonna paste that into the chat. If you guys wanna join in and support my friend Teos on his endeavors, three bucks for his membership and you get immediate access to multiple, multiple products. I just downloaded them. Do I have them in my download folder here? I think I might, give me a second. Game Master's Guide to Evolving Magic Items by Teos Abadia. This is a guide that he designed and developed while doing interviews with Shelly Mazenoble and Greg Tito when he was on Dragon Talk. And it's about how to make magic items that evolve and talks about how magic items have been handled in the current books. So Really cool, fun, free. Oh God, I hope is Teos, do you mind that I show off your product on the channel here? I should have asked first. Sorry. Rules for collaborative campaign creation. Another PDF, 10 page PDF that talks about how to build campaigns with your friends, right? How to build instead of just instead of you coming in with a pre-baked campaign, this is an opportunity for you to step by step help build out a world. These are both, are they available for sale on DriveThru or are they only for patrons? They are for sale. So you could go buy them from Drive RPG, or you can join his Patreon for three bucks and get access. I am really eager. So one of the things you said you were gonna do is videos about the industry. And I would love, I would love to do that. I actually had, I was talking to my friend, Joe, Joe Wetzel. He runs Inkwell, Inkwell Ideas. And we were talking about the video I did on how to quote unquote, make it in the industry. And he was like, you know, it'd be great if I, you know, one day if you wanted me to come on and I could talk about what it's like to do convention shows because I do tons of convention shows. And I was like, man, I just like to have you on the show to talk about what it's like being a one guy, man guy running a business like this full time, right? And what that's been like, he's been doing it more than 10 years, right? And, and then I was like, you know, and I would love to bring on like Sean Merwin and have him talk about what it's like basically freelancing for as long as he did. Cause he did, I, I didn't talk about freelancing and it'd be fantastic to talk about what, what it's like in this industry focusing on freelancing. And I'm pretty sure Sean started going full time as a freelancer, right? And what that's like, I'd love to have Scott Fitzgerald Gray on the show to talk about being an editor, a freelance editor for 20 years, however long he's been a freelance editor and what that's like, what, what it's like as an industry, what that's like as a, you know, to kind of take people at different phases, at different stages and different angles and talk about what it was like to go into the industry like that, right? And you know, have Josh Parry do it and have Jeff Stevens do it and have, you know, Anthony Joyce and Justice Armand talk about it because they've all taken different sides and different angles. They've all taken different approaches. Some went heavy into DMs Guild. Some have not done anything in the DMs Guild, right? Some have been doing it 20 years. Some are just getting started. You know, have talked to Empty Black. I would love to do, 
I don't have the time. As I told him, I'm like, well, maybe one day I'll get fired and then I could do shows like that because I would love to do that. I don't know how the hell I would fit that into my schedule. I would really love to do it and it would be awesome and I think it would be really good. And I don't know, maybe somehow I'm going to have to make that happen some someday. Well, I'll tell you one thing's going to happen. As soon as I lock in the printing of the books, it's going to be six months from the time I lock in printing the books to the time, yes, Sanjay ever says, start phoning Mike's boss. Yeah. You know what that guy's talking about? You know, to, I lost my train of thought thinking about getting fired. So as soon as I get the books locked in for printing, there's going to be like a six month lag between that and getting printed. And I'm not going to be doing anything with it. The, 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 the Lazy DM Companion PDF will be out, right? The book will be done. The, the print version will be done and it'll basically be like a couple of weekend jobs over the next six months. And I've already started my next thing and that's kind of what I'm interested in, but I might have some more time and I might be able to squeeze in like a Monday show or something like that. And it might be kind of fun to do a series of shows talking about what it's like in this industry and, and make it a series that like would last for a long time, right? Talk to people about the long time drive of what it's like to try to quote unquote, make it in this industry. I think it would be really, I think it'd be really fun to do a show like that. So maybe I'll try to, maybe I'll try to do that. Merrick 90 says, any hints on what the next thing is? If you want hints, the <laughs> become a patron, <laughs> sorry, but patrons are going to see, I am, I am hoping to have my first draft of the first piece of this thing in the hands of patrons by the end of January, which is funny because I also plan on releasing the Lazy DMs Companion in the end of January too. So I'm going to release two things. Uh, I can tell you it's around 5,000 words. I can tell you it is, I don't know, what can I tell you? I don't know. It's a thing, right? Paywall. I know it's a paywall, but like, yeah. So I'll tell you what really worked well. And what, and, and Teos, you know, if you're sticking around, this is this is something to consider. Working to make products for patron that then get built into bigger products is a real has was worked so well for the lazy dms companion it meant that you know it meant that i could get direct feedback on i could i could put a product in somebody's hands that they could use right away it wasn't insurmountable for me to be able to make that product relatively quickly and get it into people's hands it was a usable thing on its own it wasn't just you know a bunch of crap it was it, i tried to make it good but it was also not a full finished thing like the Lazy M's Companion is, but it was a way to test it out and try that out and get into people, right? For a reasonable price, like mine's, you know, $2 patron. It's not, it's not crazy expensive and they get access to it forever. So like the, you know, the Lazy DMs Companion, there is still Sly Flourish's Uncovered Secrets Volume 1, which is the Lazy DMs Companion. It's the stuff that's in the Companion, but it's the Patreon version of that and any patron can get it automatically, right? So that, that really that model of using patron to kind of, you know, make things and get them to people who care about them and get them to people who are going to try it out and see what works and see what doesn't and, you know, toss the stuff that doesn't and, and then, and then get it, you know, that model worked really well. And I plan on using that model for my next thing too. And I'm hoping to get the first piece of that out 
into uh, the world at the end of January. I'm also hoping to kind of fund, the problem is if I do this, it's gonna hurt the timeline, but I'd like to fund some artwork for it. I'd like to fund some artwork and maybe a map. I really, it needs a map and I'm gonna draw one myself and it's gonna suck and maybe I'll commission one. But I think I think I can still get it out there in January and then I can have like a newer version with, hey, now we got a real map for it because it needs a map. The thing I'm doing needs a map and it's not a map I can, I can't just go grab a Dyson map and do it like I've done before. Mindful RPG says, I love the Uncovered Secrets and I can't wait for the Companion to come out. Oh, me too. Well, the, you know, you can get all the text of the Companion, right? If you, hopefully you've seen it. But but boy, I just saw the latest version of it with some, you want to see it? Do, 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 showing things off. Here it is. Scott Gray sent me this. He sent me this this morning. And we have new maps, you know, the, the listed he, things in red are the things he wanted me to look at. And it is the full 64-page Lazy DMs Companion, which if you pre-order it, if you if you backed it on Kickstarter or you pre-order it, you can get the basically all of this except for some of the artwork that we have been putting in. And I'm not I'm not putting out a new version of it until the art is done because we're like we're like weeks away. We're sh we're really we're really we're really close. But there's some new art in here. Oh, where's some cool art? There's some art, like the Session Zero checklist has art. We had to shorten this paragraph a bit, so he wanted me to look at that. Cyflash leaks his own stuff. Sure, why not? Who's gonna yell at me? Let's check this out, right? Zone-based combat, we have this thing in here. I don't know, did we have this in here in the other one? I don't know if we did, but I think that's really cool, right? How to do a text-based combat tracker. I think that's so cool. You know, there's some art thrown in here, right? This is your running single session game, bit of art. Oh, that was already there. There's a you know, point crawl piece of art there. Wilderness travel, nice piece of art there. This guy. There's a secret about this dude and the dude on the next, or the lady on the next page. I'm wondering if anybody will get the reference. There's a, there's a specific reference. There's a lot of references for things in here. Kind of a little fun Easter egg. And we were just talking about templates earlier today. Wilderness Adventures, I think that's has there. There's, I love that piece, right? Big sarcophagus with like little dudes in front of it. That's the underground exploration as art. Haunted layers. Uh, the God Generator. Ooh, you want to see the God Generator art? Look at that. that. That's the draft piece. Oh, this is the last piece of artwork that we needed. And I forgot to commission it. And so we commissioned it and I got the draft back. And I just think that is the God Generator, the art for the God Generator. And I, I, I adore it. I think it's so great. So <laughs> DSV Sicarius says that they look friendly. So that's that piece of art's going in right there. That's gonna be cool. There's another another piece of art. So this is the version that has all the art, but let me show you the cool bits. Stuff I don't think anybody's really seen this yet. So the adventure is in here. I think the adventure Dungeon of Shadows, I think that was in there before, right? We have a two-page adventure in here that you can that you can run as a quickie. There's Daniel Walthall's map. There's the Daniel's town map that we have. The manor map, which will be in here soon. Oh, I think I can, I think I can show that off though. Hang on. Shh, don't tell anybody. That is the inn map, right? I love this inn because you can, it, it, everything's got like a cool little cellar with some evil shit going on, you know? And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's cool. So we have that. That's, sorry. I don't have the manor map yet. The manor map we're still getting. That's the in map. But the in map we have, and that's going in there. And these are one of the two point crawl maps. Check that map out, right? 
Chloe Ballard did these and they are just awesome. And it's, 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 it's a little kind of, you got to work a little bit to see it as a point crawl map, this one in particular, right? But you can see like the connectors, right? The aqueduct connector and the path through the mountains and the secret path to here and the path that goes up along the, it's a point crawl map, even though it looks like a, ge a geographic map, it's, it's designed as a point crawl, right? And the, the hope was that it is both beautiful and lovely and inspiring, but also gave you the idea of like, I, I, I know how I could do something like this. And you could draw, you know, very few of us could draw something like this, but you could draw something similar to it. You could draw little mountains, right? And a little circle with a thing coming out for stuff. So, you know, could you hand draw your own? And then we have the underground point crawl map, which is much more clearly a point crawl map, right? Has all these different underground locations with all these different paths that kind of connect them to and shows like secret paths and you know, things that you wouldn't be clear are there unless you discover it. So that's designed to be an, uh, a good point crawl map. And then we have two other small dungeon maps, right? These are, one is a cavern and one is worked stone. And the idea is you could use these for lots of different stuff. So those are the maps. And then we have a nice little splash ad in the back. So, you know, hey, pick up, pick up the other books. They're really cool. So that is all, all that we have to do is add in that one extra, that one piece of art, this, this guy here is going to be in there. And this in map is going to be in there very shortly. And then we have a manner map. I don't think I've got a manner map draft handy. I might, I do. Yes. Let's take a look. This is the latest manner map. And the idea behind the manner map is it might be a place that you reside in. It might be a place that you conduct a heist in. It might be, maybe you just want the dungeon, right? And it's another three layer thing that you can use for a lot of different purposes. So the maps that are in the companion are intended to uh, be used in, it's like, can you think of three different ways to use this map was, was really a way that I designed it. Not so much the point crawl maps, but certainly the other ones. The point crawl maps are sort of inspiration to how to do point crawls. That's companion stuff. I dig it. So I'm very excited for that. So that one is going to be coming out at the end of January, almost certainly. Like when there's two pieces of art left to get, Scott's ready to stick them in the book. And both, you know, both the, the cartographer and the artist that are working on those final two pieces have already gone pretty far with them. So I'm confident that we will have this PDF into the hands of 11,000 people, right? The Kickstarter with the pre-orders is now at 11,000. We broke 11,000 people. So 11,000 people are going to be getting the Lazy DMs Companion PDF, which is awesome. I'm so happy about that. It just, it makes my heart sore. It makes me emotional. And at the same time, I hope it offers something for patrons, you know, me and 10,999 best friends. Yeah. So that's very cool. So if I can find other time, it would be really fun to do that industry show. I would really love to do that. Hopefully I can find a way to get to get some to get some time for that. So Teos, congratulations on launching your Patreon. You also launched a what is it? What was the other Patreon adjacent platform? Not a coffee. Coffee. Okay. What's the URL? You paste the URL in here. You have permission. I grant you, I grant you absolution for pasting into the Twitch chat. And you have a Discord. There it is. Uh, Coffee.com slash AlphaStream. Let's take a look at that. Let's, let's critique your page. Wow, it looks, it looks exactly like the Patreon page. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. I didn't launch a Coffee page, and I don't, unless there was a way to easily post for both, I can't, it would be, it'd be hard. I, I have too many things I'm maintaining. 
So very, very cool. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm so happy for you. This is great stuff. I'm very, I was really excited to be like, oh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't subscribe fast enough to join, to join your Patreon. Linktree lets you connect both. You can pass messages and stuff to both. hundred percent. Where do they get their money? That seems like a terrible business choice. Like we're going to give 100% of the money that comes in to the people that support it. And then what? They're going to make it up in, in volume? <laughs> They're going to, they're going to, I think they're secretly running a, a, a blockchain thing behind it. They have stores and stuff. That's cool. Gold subscriptions. So that's cool. You sure they're not going to run a blockchain behind this whole thing and just kind of let you farm Bitcoins while you're surfing the page? Like as I scroll up and down, I'm secretly farming, I'm secretly farming uh, Bitcoins. I kid because I love. God, I hope not. <laughs> Sly coin. We are not. <laughs> you do not have to worry. Right? This is that hedgehog concept. What, what do you love? What are you good at? And where, where, what can you make money at? And guess what? I don't love Bitcoin. <laughs> I have no experience with it. And I don't want to make money at it. So I would like to continue to write books. I like writing books. I'm doing a, a presentation at work about this stuff that I do. And... I've written 11 books in 11 years. I've published 11 books in 11 years. And I like that. And I like that model. And I kind of wanted the idea of like, I'd like to publish a book every year, right? I think if I published a book every year until I'm dead, I would be a very happy dead dead person. So I'm, I, I, I like that model and it's something I like doing and it's working out. And why, you know, I don't need undisciplined pursuit of more. I don't need to constantly find new stuff and I should, you know, like I should focus on the things that I'm good at. Right. And I worry sometimes, like I love doing these streams and I love doing YouTube videos. And I love it, but am I stretching myself too thin? Right. Am I doing too much? Right. I, and my, my lovely wife, Michelle brings this up often. She, are you doing too much? Yeah, you cool. Are you, are you doing it cause you like it? Or are you doing it cause you feel like you have to? And so far, everything I'm doing, I'm doing cause I like, I love, I love doing these shows. I love doing the shows on the weekends. Yeah, always listen to her. Absolutely. I listen to my wife all the time, most of the time. I should listen to her all the time. And I do listen to her a lot. So, oh, what the hell? We might as well make it an even hour and a half show, right? What else? Yeah, so Teos, I'm really looking forward to hanging out in your Discord. I'm looking forward to all the stuff you do here. It is outstanding. I'm very, I'm very excited for you. This is really cool. I will, I, I think if there's probably two things that, you know, if I could offer unsolicited recommendations to people who are kind of getting into the industry. Two things that I think are valuable and work well. And I think that they work well if you do them early and, and keep working with them. One is run, launching a patron, right? Launching a, launching a patron, even if you're like, I'm only gonna have two people, right? That it's the kind of thing you can grow right? It's the kind of thing that can build up and you can experiment with and you can try and certainly setting up a newsletter and, and then, and setting up an email newsletter, I probably would do first, but I know people that are like, I want to launch a patron, but I want to get the right idea first. And the problem is like those, unlike a Kickstarter where you need a lot of stuff up front and you want to launch it great. Cause you have a limited window. You don't have a limited window with Patreon, right? You, you can, it could be there for a long time and you can change what it is and you can change how it works. So I think like, you know, when people get an idea for a Patreon and they feel like they can do something with it, I would do it, right? I, I don't think I would wait too long because you wait too long and it's like, those are a bunch of people you're not getting. JP Covert says, how do you go your Patreon? I don't, I'm not sure I understand the question. 
if you could if you could expand upon that question. Sly Flourish book tour. No, no book tour. You can come to my website. Everybody from every world can come to my website and read books or hang out here. Grow. How do you grow your Patreon? That's a good question. And it's hard. And this gets into that whole marketing funnel, right? How do you get people to your stuff? And and one is like, you can't, you can't assume that people will just do it, right? And you can't assume people trust you enough to give you three bucks, right? Y- you have to, you know, you have to build that relationship before you start asking for money. And, but at the same time, it doesn't hurt to have it, right? Like, you know, you don't have to have the whole marketing funnel set up to get people to your Patreon before you have the Patreon. You can have the Patreon there for a while. It's okay. But I found, so I can, I can tell you, I think I've got, so how did people find the Sly Flourish Patreon? And it's a pretty straightforward poll. You can get a good idea. That's 600, uh, 600 people voted in the vote, which is roughly, it's less than half of the patrons, slightly less than half of them. But, but look at how many came from YouTube, right? Like that's, that's where I look at it and say like, okay, the hedgehog idea, I'm a writer. I'm not a video dude, right? But boy, starting to do YouTube videos and learning how to do that has helped a lot. It helped get, bring more attention to the stuff that I do. But this kind of appalls me. My website's been going on for like 20, 15 years or something, close to 15 years. <laughs> and only 100 people came from that. And 273 came from YouTube, which I've only been doing like a year, which shows that it's like you, you kind of want to also look at other things, right? Maybe. The newsletter only brought in 30, but I'll tell you, I, I, I get a big surge of people whenever I do a newsletter and I say, hey, by the way, if you like what you're seeing in the newsletter, you can also join the Patreon. That's a big way. The podcast, it's, that's surprising that like 79 people came from the podcast. You know, that's surprising. Twitch is only 28. Twitch is really different. And that's because like all of you fine people are here right now watching me, but it is a very small amount of people that watch me live compared to the number of people that watch the video once it's up on YouTube. By the way, I don't think this video is going up on YouTube. This is just for us. We're just enjoying this. Twitter was 71, right? And yeah, which ain't nothing. And and I publish, I think every two days, I have a thing that pumps out another, hey, if you are enjoying the Sly Flourish Empire, if you're enjoying the stuff that I do, consider joining my Patreon. I do that on Twitter. I have, I, I, I set a thing 90 days out to do that every every couple of days. So that brings in some people, but really YouTube is the big, the big drive, right? Put videos that people are interested in and have those videos say, if you like what you're seeing, go to the Patreon. But I don't know if I'm doing it right. You know, I don't know if this is the best way to do it. So it's not an empire, it's a cult. No, it's an empire. It, yeah, the Sly Flourish cult, that's too weird. You know, I'd have to grow a beard. Nobody wants to see that. So so I think that that's kind of an interesting, you know, if you want to know how people found this one, the answer is YouTube, mostly. Mostly YouTube, right? Does it come with capes? Hoods, weird weird hoods and masks. I was watching, you know, we like the masks. We like the, the Death Eaters in Harry Potter all have those cool masks. You know, they're a bunch of dicks, but they've got cool masks. Well, my friends, this has been a lot of fun. I'm going to go play some video games. I'm going to go play Ghosts of Tsushima on my PlayStation. So I want to thank everybody for coming. This has been awesome. Uh, If you have enjoyed this show, you can help me out in four ways. You can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. You can subscribe to my videos on YouTube. You can support me directly on Patreon, or you can pick up any of my books. Thank you all very much for hanging out with me this evening. I'll see you Sunday morning, bright and early, 9 a.m., and we're going to talk about all things D&D. So have a great night, have a great weekend, and I'll see you guys Sunday. Take care, everybody.